And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi Joe Devine. John McKenzie. Hi Joe Devine. And a very special guest indeed. It's The Athletic's Carl Anker. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. All the better for seeing you so close to that microphone. So close <laughs> to the microphone. You're so close. Yeah, there you go. That's there you go. There we go. Um, listen, I'm delighted to be joined by Carl today because there's so much football to discuss and also news. Yes, lots of news happened in the last few uh, hours. So we'll try and get through all of that as well <clears throat> today. Um, but the games are Ghana, South Korea, uh, Cameroon, Serbia, Brazil, Switzerland, Portugal, Uruguay. We'll talk about all of those as well as Iran versus the USA. Oh, Fabrizio Romano had a news story. We'll discuss that. That was a kind of odd one. Uh, Canada, some more Canada and Cuckoo. And also, what else have we got? That's it. That's it. Uh, but if you like more stuff than I just listed off, then you should get the Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. What have you enjoyed today, Seb? Um, Stuart James's article, Joe. So obviously the day began with a story about Andre Anana, the Cameroonian goalkeeper, mm. and his uh, aversion to taking goal kicks long. Our Stuart James has actually gone back through all of the goal kicks taken during the tournament's first round, the first series of match days, and analysed them and described what it uh, it. Uh, it says about the wow. the different teams' tactical approaches. It's very interesting. Ooh. I'm glad Stu did it rather than me Some or anybody else. Some people got else. too much time on their hands. Well, <laughs> he has put it to good use because it was a very interesting article. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, Go and read it. It's great. Stu's always really good. Value, good. Isn't he? Yeah. Carl, what have you written recently? Uh, I did an on-whistle report in collaboration with Ahmed Wah, in collaboration with Ahmed and Phil Hay after the Brazil game. Uh, I've also been in, oh, I can't really tell you that, but it comes out tomorrow and oh. involves Dutch football. So oh. you can enjoy that. That is exciting. That's a cliffhanger. Okay. That's even better, isn't yeah, it? No That's great. Is there. Fine. And if you want to read that and more, visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where I believe you can get a deal that's one pound a month. For six months. Oh, go and avail yourselves of that wonderful deal, which conti- continues throughout the World Cup. Yes, <laughs> exclusive, exclusive to Tifo. Uh, now, of course, I will leave you for now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Carl Anker. Let's begin, though. With Fabrizio Romano, because Fabrizio Romano uh, tweeted this evening that uh, said that uh, Agnelli and the entire Juventus board are resigning. Yeah, that also includes Pavel Nedved. It's strange. We don't actually have any facts or any reason why this has happened, but this is hugely significant. Obviously, Juventus have been embattled throughout the season because of what's happened on the pitch. Also, financial issues at the club, um, questions about uh, Max Allegri's future uh, Juventus performances haven't been very good mm. and Fabrizio Romano as you say Joe is uh, reporting that they are both gone so there's going to be um, the, there's a promise of a major restructuring imminently uh, a new board a new direction um, strange one obviously most people know Agnelli from his role in the Super League he's kind of like um, 
not head villain of the Super League, but he was a... He um, was back up to Florentino Perez and he, he spoke... <coughs> the word I was going to use was eloquently, but I fundamentally disagree with what he was saying. Mm. He spoke a lot of words about why the Super League was a good idea and he cited uh, children's interest in Fortnite and Call of Duty as a reason for why the Super League would exist. Mm. Uh, my disagreement with that was he never quite understood that the versions of Fortnite and Call of Duty that under 20 year olds were playing have a free to play model. Yeah. Uh, and I just believe the Super League as he portrayed it failed because he was an individual that did not understand that he was in the content business as well as the footballing business. Mm, that's an interesting take. Well, you also had an interesting take, John, which was to say that you can't believe Allegri has out-survived the board, given how um, complicated the footballing matters at Juventus are right now. Yeah, I mean, the football at Juventus has been bad this season. Like, they've crept up a little bit in the last few games uh, before the break for the World Cup, but there was a lot of surprise that he hadn't gone earlier. Obviously, there are questions about the finances at Juventus, whether or not they can afford to get rid of Allegri. That's what the speculations are. Um, but the whole, I think, trajectory of the last few years, maybe even the last decade or so of yeah. Juventus, has been pretty much a downward spiral in a lot of respects. And we we remember the time when and, uh, Antonio Conte was there. We remember the time when, uh, when um, Allegri was there the first time. And they very much seemed on an upward trajectory, certainly in terms of the domestic leagues. But there was always this paranoia about not being able to win the Champions League. And so they went through a little bit of a soul search and they changed things up and they brought in a couple of, of more interesting managers. So they brought in Maurizio Sarri, uh, they brought in Andrea Pirlo. And the idea was that they needed modern managers who were going to be able to bring them the the, the Champions League. And mm. um, we've talked about this in one of the videos on IRL. We did a long history of this. And... They essentially lost their nerve, I think. So they, It all they, went weird when they changed the badge to that J, which I'm a fan <laughs> of. But there, there's definitely a, there was definitely a phase where Juventus were a very well-run club. Uh, and then they, I believe they lost one of their executives who went over to Inter Milan. Uh, his name currently escapes me. Uh, and then that sort of began Inter Milan's rejuvenation and, and climb up and they stopped being a year zero football club. Uh, and I've said this a couple of times on Twitter where a lot of the time Juventus make decisions and you almost want someone from an improv class there to go, and then what? You, you know what's really interesting about that is also because like the the sort of initial era of dominance, the kind of the, that success that John just referenced, like you associate with Antonio Conte, but you remember that the Antonio Conte who delivered that was not the Antonio Conte that we know today, not the guy that's won titles in, you know, in uh, well, several titles in, in Italy, of course, but in England as well, he didn't have that reputation. So it was a little bit of a, a lunge in it. In it also, mm. like it was built on, I mean, not solely, but um there's some really good transfer decisions, not mm -hmm. least Andrea Perlo on a free transfer, Arturo Vidal coming in, like uh, Paul, Paul Pogba, Pogba, of course, yep. was like, you, when you look back on that kind of thing now on Transfermarkt, you think, ah, Paul Pogba, that's a good deal. Paul Pogba had no reputation whatsoever, really, other than being someone who was frustrated at not playing for Manchester United and Alex Ferguson. I am adjusting my mic. <laughs> Thank you, Joe Devine. Um, and so all of these good decisions sort of led to that era. And then over time, if you look back at some of the decisions now, it's exactly as Carl says. There's not an awful lot of long-term planning involved in them, I don't think. I think it's the, uh, and <laughs> forgive me, TIFO viewer, listener, uh, I'm going to compare things to professional wrestling. Uh, but there's often this phrase in professional wrestling that essentially become a mark for yourself, that in your rise to the top, you begin to believe your own myth and you be begin to believe your own uh, exceptionalism. Uh, and Juventus's climb came from years of running around in the wilderness. I 
remember 2010 where they were quite happy to just get into the Europa League and whatnot. Uh, and they made a lot of very, very good decisions in a row for about five or six years. Yeah. Uh, and they made these decisions because they looked for market inefficiencies and they were thinking long term uh, and they had a very, very good manager. And somewhere along the way, uh, and I will probably point to one of those Champions League defeats to Barcelona or Real, or Real Madrid, they stopped making good decisions or they stopped understanding why they make good decisions and started believing we make good decisions because we're Juventus. And any decision Juventus makes is, is correct. Instead mm -hmm. of going, we need to stop thinking like the other top teams in Italy and need to outsmart <clears> them. Uh, and if you believe yourself institutionally exceptional, I don't care if you're a government, I don't care if you're a football team, I don't care if you're a university. Uh, and a you podcast believe, host? Or a podcast host or a professional wrestler or indeed a podcast guest. If you start thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be fantastic because I'm me. Uh, essentially that you know, exception has rot you from the inside out. Yeah. You go from a position where you start off <clears throat> doing a job and you work really, really hard because you want the position. And then you get to a point where you get that position and you think the position will protect you and insulate you from future bad decisions. Uh, and this is how you end up with this weird state of Juventus. Right. Do you think, do you think I, this, I really need to tell me to, <laughs> I need to get out of here and make some changes. <laughs> do, you, do you think the standard of Serie A during those years was complicit in this as well? Some of those inefficiencies? Cause if you don't like, you know, the cliche about, you need two really good goalkeepers at any uh -huh. club, right? And if you have one who's much, much better than the other, over time, you see a kind of a long-term decline and a complacency. I always felt it was kind of the same in football leagues. If you have one team who dominate a league and are virtually guaranteed a title to the point where they concentrate um, all their resources on European success, eventually, like, kind of um, internal scrutiny on decisions and kind of long-term strategy is the thing that suffers. I think... It's a combination of a number of factors. I definitely think there was uh, a point where Serie A, I mean, you know, there's, there was always long-term articles of why couldn't Serie A compete in the Champions League? What, what, what does Serie A need to do to compete and whatnot? Uh, and definitely Juventus, to use the calculation, took their eye off the ball a bit. Yeah. If you look at Massimo's, Massimo's got a fantastic essay in Players Tribune where he describes the Champions League final against Real Madrid. Uh, and he said it was his life's ambition. He went, he planned that meticulously, he planned that final. Uh, and he describes just this incredibly mortifying feeling watching Cristiano Ronaldo go supernova in that game <laughs> and just going, you can't stop that. You cannot legislate for when one of the best players in the world decides I'm going to take over. And I think the good plans and the long-term sensible planning of Juventus coming undone against superb individuals that you can't necessarily legislate for in the collective. And when that happens, you essentially, you know, go a bit supervillain. Oh no, that effing Kryptonian, if you're Lex Luthor or whatever. Uh, like I need to find a way to tear him down, which is why Juventus lost their way a bit because they went from thinking of a smart, sensible collective market into, should we just buy him? Yeah. And that accelerates a mm. malaise not just i'm not saying ronaldo is the problem but i'm saying the signing of cristiano ronaldo at that point in time probably exacerbates a number of issues that they weren't properly properly prepared for yeah okay well we're going to come back to talk about cristiano ronaldo a little bit later but let's begin uh, with ghana three to south korea carl uh, ghana have three points mm -hmm. after two games 
Uh, although perhaps more interestingly, um, they've both scored and conceded five goals, which was not <laughs> expected uh, before this tournament. Well, at least uh, Ghana weren't expe- expected to score lots of goals. Are you happy with performances? Are you happy with, with results? Uh, at full time, my heart rate was 110, <laughs> according to my Fitbit. <laughs> yes. uh, I checked uh, for, for the 90 minutes and it spiked at 121. Oh. Uh, which is, you know, that's basically when you're doing warm-ups playing a game yeah. of football. That's how stressed out I was. It was a remarkable game of football. Um, yeah, as, as I did before in our TIFO group stage preview, Ghana's big problem is goal scoring and chance creation. And I had no idea Ghana would be able to score two goals in a game, let alone three. Mm. I think at halftime, uh, John sent me some uh, fantastic little XG maps and, and Ghana scored four goals off an XG of 1.14, was it? Yeah, to that point, I think. So the point you went 2-0 up, I think you'd scored all of the chances that you'd had in the box. Yeah so far in the tournament which is not a particularly uh, repeatable rate of return but yeah i think that goes towards showing just how efficient that you'd been in in, in the box yeah and then and then the the second half period Tarek Lamptey starts getting double up on and Ghana can't really deal with uh, the Korean press and indeed the counter press so mm. the first goal comes from Lamptey he thinks he's won the ball and begins to try and play out the back and he's immediately seized the pod by two Korean attackers, the crosses. I mean, it's absolutely superb. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Cho has a thumping, towering header to finish. Great it. header, yeah. that. Uh, it was an awesome header. It's one of those. Well, I, I love a header where defenders get skittled by it. Yeah. Not like when I'm when I'm hoovering in my living room and my cats are kind of scared and scattering. It's the same principle. <laughs> Can imagine comes... you doing that and going, "Oh, Stafford Bloss scores <laughs> the winner." Hoovering your living room carpet. Hey? I mean, we've been living together for nine days, and that is oh, a I haven't very, seen you hoover once. Very exactly. poor impression. Not I loaded once. your dishwasher this morning. I'm loading That's the dishwasher for the World <laughs> Cup. I didn't make that noise when I did it. <laughs> well, he was pretty noisy. Um, anyway, fine. Uh, you also wanted to make a point, uh, Carl, about the quality of clearances during this game, particularly from set pieces. Yes. Uh, so Ghana have the most headed clearances in this World Cup at the moment. And I think this game has the one of the records. It might be the record for this World Cup. It could be indeed a record for multiple World Cups for the amount of header clearances uh, in this game because the the final 25 minutes just becomes a barrage of aerial bombardment from South Korea as they really target that space that used to be uh, held by Tariq Lamptey at right back. But then then comes in uh, Dennis Adoy, I believe. Yes, he's the second (laughs) half sub. Uh, There's just so much space. Um, Something that's quite... Interesting slash concerning from a Ghanaian perspective is they keep conceding goals in really short succession. So they conceded three in the space of five minutes ish against Portugal, and they conceded two in three minutes, two yeah. three minutes against Portugal. I think that's a case of uh, youthful naivete. Mm. So this is the youngest squad at the World Cup, and Otto Addo is the youngest in terms of senior games, senior games or competitive games at this World Cup, and I think he hasn't quite on the quite grasp that sort of intangible nuance of game state mm. and how you know once you concede you're very once you score you're very vulnerable conceding once you concede once you're very vulnerable conceding again there's been a lot of uh not just in this ghana south korea game but there's been quite a few group games where you see a, a goal has been scored and someone on one of the team starts tapping their foreheads with the focus yeah thing yeah. which which shows that you know the world cup isn't too divorced from sunday league tactics mm. who fit long maximize your set pieces yeah if there's a nippy lad hit him with a reducer uh and focus after a goal still no no that's yeah i'm just listening to the hiss in here but i think uh we've all Ooh, it, collectively it's... fallen into a, a snake pit in indiana yes. jones i imagine that's... oh it's gone it's gone it's gone it's <laughs> we okay. addressed it directly 
and it's gone. It's oh, in which case, uh, John, let me ask you, what did you like about what Ghana did in possession? Yeah, I just wanted to point out just a, a really nice um, set of movements that they were doing to try and generate um, a little bit of space in, in the wide area. And the second goal in particular was interesting because it came from that wide area across into... Automatisms? Um, um, yeah, maybe alternative. I don't know if they'd worked. They, they probably had worked on this because they did it quite a few times, but I'll just draw it on the board here. So we've got Inaki Williams, um, in the center forward spot here, Jordan Ayu on the, on the uh, left-hand side, and then Mohamed Kurdis coming up on the right-hand side. Um, and then Thomas Partey is the midfielder on this side. And then we have the def- defense on the, on, in this sort of area. And what they're going to try and do is they're going to try and generate some space in this sort of area around the, the fullback. What, what, what sort of area was that? <coughs> Around the fullback. Area. Yes, which on the left. On the left-hand side. Yeah, yeah there here. you go. Um, so we've got Jordan Ayu being marked by Kim. Mm-hmm. If you call one of the the South Korea defenders Kim, you're probably going to get it right. And yeah. what we saw was like a really nice triangulated movement where Jordan Ayu would move in this direction to, to drag this player out of the way. Thomas Partey would move in this direction uh, towards the fullback area, so dropping into the to cover for the fullback. So then the fullback can pull forward into these sorts of areas, and and so you have this this nice triangular shape. So a kind of rotating triangle, a rotating triangle. Yes, very nice. And it just allowed them to generate space, as I've said, in this this left hand area, and that was one of the the areas where they were able to generate across from. So they bought themselves a space in time to to be able to do that. And is that because when the advanced left winger sort of pulls inside, and the uh, the central midfielder pulls into the left, are they, are they taking players with them or are they they're kind of causing chaos in terms of um, South Korea knowing who to mark when yeah so when Jordan Ayu is dropping from the left wing spot he's pulling the left back with him um, Thomas Partey is dropping into the fullback area just to give a little bit of added coverage for that area and obviously right. if Jordan Ayu is dropping into the space that Partey has just been in then you don't need to have two players in that same space and yeah. then uh, the the left back is is uh, moving into the space that is generated sure. so um, I, d- I just thought that was a, an interesting um, set of movements that that shows that, that um, clearly Ghana have been working on trying to generate more chances. Yeah, okay. Well, they, they did a good job of generating chances in this game. They also did a, a, a good job of defending, although it's worth saying, John, that South Korea did improve as the game went on. There's some brilliant first touches, didn't they, in those last 10 minutes? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, as the game wore on, Ghana was sitting deeper and deeper, and Carl was talking about the amount of, of headed clearances they were they were having to make. Um, and the South Koreans were working the ball down in the left hand side of the pitch. As Carl was saying, there's a little bit more space once Dennis Adoy came on, uh, and those were the two areas where the crosses came in. The, 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 that was the area where the two crosses came in for for the two goals uh, as well. But yeah, a lot of a lot of wide crosses for for mm-hmm. the goals. And um, if people were watching the BBC commentary, they may have seen the 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 um exploration they did of the defensive line um that south korea had for the first goal so i wondered if you wanted me to just talk you through that a little sure, bit i'd love to hear so the issue was that the south koreans set their defensive line quite deep mm-hmm. so i've drawn the line on the board here so, sort of between the penalty spot and the six yard box mm. really quite deep and they had uh, a number of defenders i'm not going to put all of them in in there but just going to show you the example and the and the free kick was um on the left hand side fairly deep quite mm-hmm. a long way wide um and obviously you're going to try and get the ball ball into this sort of area and what happens is the ball comes in um it's not headed away properly uh, drops to the drops to the floor and and then Salasu is able to pick it up and, and finish, and the commentary team at BBC were saying, actually you might expect that defensive line to be much higher in this sort of instance mm. um, for for a number of reasons. But if you had done that, this line would have been up here, and if the ball drops on the edge of the box, it's a much less dangerous chance. Um, and 
I think it's it's kind of interesting to think about what you will do with your defensive line in different situations. I think in this instance, because the ball's coming from a wide area, what you're usually expecting is the ball to be swung in and go along this sort of trajectory. So, so a, a kind of outswinger in behind the line. Yeah. yeah. And the reason that you would do that is because it maximizes your chances of hitting yeah. someone's head. Yeah. So essentially what you're doing is you're bending the ball so that it will go along the line of attackers. Yeah. Um, so that if the front player misses, then there's the second and third player yeah. who might do it as well. Uh, and so as a result of that, if you are a team like South Korea who, who don't have the same aerial ability as their opponents, if you move your defensive line high, it just means that you're making it much less likely for them to get the ball in a dangerous area. They have right. to really work hard to get the ball into that in that sort of area. Now, if it was from a more central situation, say the free kick was here. Now, obviously the, the wall rule applies. So that, that then starts affecting where your defensive line can be. Because if you're if, if you want to have a wall in front of the, the goal, then they have to be yep. 10 yards away from the ball. So yeah. that then starts pushing um, the wall, wall back as well. But again, if you think about the trajectory that the ball's coming in from a more central position, yeah. it's much harder to get um, the ball. You're, you're basically aiming for one person rather than three people, as we yeah. showed on the other one. So the idea is that if, in your, if you're in a wide position, you want to get the wall as high as possible so that the, the opposition are being forced away from the goal so there's no danger of it just dropping into this sort of area around the edge of the six-yard box, yeah. which proved to be so dangerous for South Korea. McCangles there. McCangles, indeed. With a maths lesson. I enjoy that greatly. That's very interesting. We've seen quite a lot of high defensive lines when it's come from uh, free kicks this tournament so always good to know why um shall we talk seb about the end of the game uh, south korea really pressing ghana for a yeah. third uh probably for those last 10 minutes the ball goes out for a corner <laughs> yes. and it is past time yep. there'd been yes, a, your standard 10 minutes added time for the 2022 world cup uh, even some would say that was short um and the referee didn't give the corner and i sort of think you always let the team take the corner. I mean, I don't care how far past time it is. They always get the corner. That would be my rule. I was, I could understand why the South Korean coach was so angry that he was red carded after the, after the final whistle. Yeah. So this was Anthony Taylor, Premier League referee. And as you say, corner was conceded, but no time to take it. And I think if you want to avoid the kind of scenes that Anthony Taylor suffered after that game, you let the corner be taken. Mm. I can see it. I can I can understand it from both sides because if you're the defending team and you've, um, I mean, goodness, they were they were you know Ghana had to had to defend very very well over the part over the last sort of nine or ten minutes. You think right? Well, time's up. We've defended. We've defined. We've defended for the allotted injury time. Um, we have um, just because it's another corner. There's no rule in football about right. You have one last go at it just because you're in an attacking position. Because then you can extend it out. You say, well, you know, we're, we're still in the half. Let's have another long ball. It's not how I think about it, but I can understand that sort of justification. Mm. But if you want an easy life, you just let it happen. I think. <laughs> Don't I you? think so. I mean, okay, Carl, you're a Ghana supporter. Yes. I'm curious to know what you think about this. Obviously, you did. You wanted the game to end. Yes. But that's a corner, right? You've got to give the corner. Can, can, uh, I, can, can I rephrase? Because I'm interested in this. Because if that happens to my team, I think one of my grievances is time's up. Yep. Time's over. My second issue is, yeah, you still have to defend it. If you then go and concede from the corner, it, it's still bad defending if you let it in. And so I, it's kind of, it, it's, there are two sides to it. Well, you ask a question like that. What I, what I tend to do is, you know, imagine a, a whiteboard and you've written the sentences and you said, you've got to give the corner. And mm. what I, you know, I can... And pretend I'm a university lecturer. I just walk up with a with a pen and I circle "got to," 
And I put a question mark, like, got to. Yeah. Uh, and Chase got Hu, to. you can give a corner. Mm. Shouldn't it be can give a corner, young no, man? No, 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 got to. <laughs> got to. And that would be my, like, academic philo- you know, philosophical yeah. thing. Yeah. I, How did you feel? How do you feel in your gut about it, though? Uh, that's thoroughly in the, in the category of seen him given. So I think yeah. when the whistle blew, it was a massive sigh of relief. Something that's quite interesting is Anthony Taylor doesn't necessarily have the best reputation in Ghana. <laughs> right. So some of, some of the news going up to this game was quite angry that Anthony Taylor was the referee. Cause oh. as, as Seb said, Anthony Taylor is a Premier League referee and the Premier League market in Ghana is massive. There's yeah. loads of Manchester United fans, loads of Chelsea fans, loads of Liverpool fans, loads of top six fans in Ghana. So they know Anthony Taylor and they, and you know, depending on your, where your fandom goes in terms of the Premier League, you might have a positive or negative opinion of Anthony Taylor. Ah. So uh, Anthony Taylor is known in Ghana, uh, but between that corner decision and the decision to let the first goal go ahead, there was a VAR check for, for a possible handball for Andre Ayo that, yeah. that uh, the VAR team and Anthony Taylor said, no, the, mm. the goal count. I think he's just earned himself a... Some uh, he can now Banco and Tilapia if he ever goes to, to Accra. Yeah, uh, yeah. If, 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 if the corner had been given, uh, I would have continued to be sat on my seat with my heart rate at 120. That sure. wasn't, I could immediately drop it by 10. Well, for the sake of your heart, let's move on from even even remembering what happened. I do want to quickly, I sure. just want to talk about Mohamed Kudus for a little bit. Can please I? do, please he's, do. He's brilliant. I've said before, he's the best attacking player I've seen in a Ghanaian shirt in a decade, perhaps since Andre first emerged. Um, John, when this game first started, it was a 4-3-3 initially and it looked as if Inaki Williams would be flanked by both IU brothers, Jordan uh, and Andre. But what happened quite quickly within the first 10 minutes is uh, Andre I dropped from that right wing position in what looked like to be a 4-3-3 and Kudus pushed up from the middle band to the right as a number eight and pushed up to, to the right wing position. He's left footed. He can cut. He's not really a cut inside and shoot winger. Mm. He's got a really... Um, curious positional path ahead of him. So when he came through the right to dream Academy and reached Danish football, he was initially envisioned as a number 10 uh, and looked to be a sort of prototypical old school number 10, give him the ball. He's an on-ball creator and just sprays it everywhere. Mm. Gets to Ajax is again playing as a number 10, but uh, you know, Ajax don't really play tens. Ideally they want to play a four, three, three. If they do play a four, two, three, one, it's a sort of staggered one. So it eventually becomes a four, three, three. This is on Eric Ten Hag. Ten Hag also has Dusan Tadic. Um, and Kudus is experimented in as a sort of press-resistant number eight. Plays a couple of games there. It doesn't quite coalesce because he's, he's still a teenager. Um, and then now on the Mr. Schroeder, um, he's played quite a few Champions League games as the number nine. I'm not going to call him a false nine because he, mm. he just... It's just a number nine, He's just it? been playing as yeah. a number nine in those Champions League games. He was asked about... Do you want to be a nine and Kudus in his very humble, charming way? Just sort of went, I'm just here to help the team. I think depending on what club he goes to next, and forgive me for, for saying that about an Ajax player, but such is the way of uh, economics and football that you can only be at Ajax for so long. I think, um, I mean, he was initially linked to Everton in the summer. Came very close to going, I think. Yep. Yeah. Came very close there. I think, if he'd been at Everton, that would have been a really interesting midfield next to Alex. So what would be an Onana? Um, and I think the, the if he gets to the correct club, he could be a very, very good press resistant number eight hmm. in a 4-3-3. Uh, if he gets to a, what I'll call a middle band, so like a Europe, a, a team that will play Europa League quarterfinals, I could mm-hmm. see him being a number 10. But yeah. I think his ultimate seeding is best off him being a number eight 
in a Ghana shirt, I think he's going to be the on-ball creator for a very long time for him. Okay. okay. Right, well, there we go. Let's go for a break now. And when we come back, uh, we'll, we've got so much more to discuss. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right. Lovely break. Iran, USA. Seb, let's charge through this now. Um, The big game. The big game is tomorrow. However, today... An Iranian journalist asked some awkward questions at the US Men's National Team press conference. Yeah, I'll do this quickly, just because big game got bigger and acrimony is deepening by the hour. Big game got bigger. Big game I like how you build that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a hype man. Yeah. Anyway, right over the weekend, a um, the US Men's National Team social media channels posted an Iranian flag without its Allah symbol as a um, gesture of solidarity with Iranian women. Um, Consequence of that was Iranian FA were um, deeply offended, complained to FIFA. And today in a press conference, Greg Berhalter apologized, um, said it's nothing to do with the team and, and all the coaching staff needs rights, it's nothing to do with them. It's a different a sort of organization within um, US soccer. Um, uh, another Iranian journalist asked Berhalter also uh, whether he'd asked Joe Biden to remove a naval fleet from the Persian Gulf. Um, also corrected Tyler Adams on his pronunciation of Iran um, and then asked Tyler Adams, I've got the quote here, um, are you okay to be representing your country that has so much that has so much discrimination against black people in its borders? So I'm um, speaking in, as in, in English as a second language, so it's, it's um, so it doesn't read that well. Um, obviously, a really tense uh, press conference, not your usual World Cup pre-match mm. fair. Um I'm going to read you what Tyler Adams said in response because I thought it was very, very impressive. Sure. Um, he said, um, there's discrimination everywhere you go. One thing that I've learned, especially living abroad these past few years and having to fit into different cultures, is that in the US, we're continuing to make progress every single day. I grew up in a white family with an African-American heritage and background. So I was very, very easily able to assimilate into different cultures. Not everyone has that ease and the ability to do that. And through education, I think it's super important. Like you just educated me right now on the pronunciation of your country. So um, so that's pretty impressive, pretty composed for a young guy. Um, young person in a, a pretty difficult spot there, obviously, because um, that attracted a lot of media coverage. But um, to say things are pretty tense is probably an understatement, Joe. It's, um, yeah, it's quite some build up to this game tomorrow. Yeah, okay. There is a infamous Newsweek feature of the 1998 World Cup fixture between the United States and Iran, uh, that uh, sort of oral history, uh, and it's fixated on uh, the essentially what the two captains give each other during a World Cup game. Uh, and there was a long, long, long discussion uh, going into France 98 after the history between the two nations of USA soccer going, what do we hand the Iranian captain? Uh, so if yeah. you can hunt down that article, I heartily recommend it for a, a snapshot 
uh, US-Iranian politics from 1998. Uh, and I'm sure um, some media organization will write the article about what will happen when the two captains meet. Uh, tomorrow as well worth also plugging that our guys at the athletic um over in our american offices they are um they're doing a piece on this tomorrow morning so can't tell you exactly what that is at the moment but uh, do look out for it in the morning mm. um maybe read it just after you do carl's excellent piece ah, also yes. to be revealed also Carl, to be revealed um let's stay with the usa just for the time being uh, because news also emerged about geo rainer today yeah so another sort of non-footballing issue arose. Basically, um, Eric Ronaldo, the former um, US Men's National Team International, um, was having a conversation with an LA Times journalist on Twitter Spaces, in which he said that um, Greg Berhalter had lied about Gio Reyna's injury um, and his availability, um, which was a, a curious thing to bold say. claim. Bold claim. He also said that there was some friction in the camp and that um, the players in the American side wanted Gio Reyna um, in the team seems to have rode back on that a little bit since and Berhalter has has kind of hit back and not hit back but sort of calmed the situation down a bit and said that's not who I am said to the the, the gathered American press corps uh, I'm paraphrasing but he said basically you guys have dealt with me over these years um, I'm sure you don't think that I'm that's how I operate I don't know I, I have never dealt with Greg Berhalter or uh, I don't know anything about Eric Winalda beyond his footballing career so I have no idea but it's um again noise We've spoken about this a few times. Noise, distraction. It is a huge game for for America tomorrow, as it is for Iran. I don't think it needed hyping any further than it has been. Sure. Um, and also, yeah, it's, it's it's. I just think if you try and put yourself in Gio Reyna's position, that's quite an awkward spot, I mm -hmm. think. Like you've got this conversation going on around your fitness and his dad is high profile. Claudio Reyna, of course, played for Manchester City amongst other European clubs. Um, very, very good player. Yeah. Um, so he, he's in a tricky position. And hasn't played a lot of football. Fur, football, fur, 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 football. That was weird. Hasn't played it? a lot of fur, 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 football. Not, not football, not fur, 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 football either this mm. season for Borussia Dortmund. Mm. And um, so is um, a little bit short of match fitness. But even so, I don't think this would have been particularly helpful for him. Mm. Very weird. Okay. Um, well, listen, Dylan Blue in the chat helpfully points out, and I don't know if this is wrong, so it's not my fault if it is, that uh, <laughs> there was a programme on BBC4 uh, the other night for uh, for British listeners uh, about the previous US-Iran game, which is apparently Ooh, on iPlayer. That's so very interesting. I might give that, that a watch. Oh, check that out. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Dylan in the chat there. Uh, fine. Let us move on to discuss Cameroon 3. Three Serbia, Carl. Uh, one of the best games, one of my favourite games of the tournament so far, with maybe the best new goal, Abubakar, with a very disrespectful lob. Did you enjoy? A lob, a scoop. A it's scoop. It. It's a scoop. I'm it's not a lob. Scoop. It's a scoop. It's yeah. a Paborski. I'm like, calling it a scoop. It's yeah. one of those. It's one of those techniques you don't see often in the professional game. As well. You'd assume the ball is too heavy. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, in, in youth football, or if you play playground football, the sponge ball, you can you can get the scoop on it. The technique quite well. as well is incredible because I, when I watch the slow motion replay from the side, I, I could scoop like that, but only if I had like a minute to get my foot mm -hmm. under it properly, and then and then ooh, then go. Yeah. Whereas his foot just arrives and scoops. Gets the no scoop, stop. Drops the defender. Gets the scoop. Um, Small conversation as to whether or not he would have gone for the scoop if there wasn't question marks. Over I think he thought he was offside. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which again, but the fact he put the ball in the net is something yeah. I really like, and something quite a few old pros have often said. That even if the whistle blows, put the ball in the net anyway, as as practice. The only way to make that better would have been to turn around and walk away before seeing it go in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also uh, a mildly funny goal because Vincent. 
has beef or aggro with Mohamed Salah. Yeah. Uh, I, not that Salah has ever reciprocated or, or ever commented on it, mm. but he, Vincent's been, I, I'm going to keep calling him Vincent because I just, I mean, normally I call him Uncle Vincent because he's a man <laughs> that, uh, I mean, I mean, he's earned my respect. Yeah. He's a man that has an aura of, uh, if he if he walks in the room, I'm going to stand up because he, he's, he's a serious individual and he scoops people. Um, he said during AFCON, uh, I don't give a toss. I don't care if people hate me for what I'm about to say, but my Salah doesn't impress me. Uh, I, we have the same talent. Is the only difference is that he has uh, he plays for the only difference is he does it for a big club, mm. uh, and he's often played with that sort of chip on his shoulder. Yeah, um, Salah is, is his you know latest target of ire, but he has had a club career and his route to professional football has had a lot of um, like many African football players had a lot of you had to get the right bus or right. you were right on the verge of dropping out and you had to find, and it was the right time, the right person, the right thing. Um, and he has used that as fuel for other football players who he believes hasn't had that come up. Mm. Um, I would prefer it if that beef stays in childhood pettiness sure. and just doing that rather than clattering each other in a football field. Yeah. But for now, that was fun. Uh, his, his reputation in the Cameroon national team is also quite fun because he's got that what I call the aging veteran, you know, hmm. what uh, some people call grandpa death in that. I can't play 90 minutes, but I swear to God, whip a snapper when yeah. I get into this football field, I'm going to play right. good. Put me on for 45 and I'll scoop. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. boy, did he scoop, John. Listen, there were six goals in this game and I know you love goals just as much as the next <laughs> me uh, and the current me. But um, when there's six goals in a game spread so evenly, I can't help but think something's gone wrong somewhere. Yeah, it was a funny old game, really, because obviously Cameroon got the first goal and then Serbia got a flurry of goals, yeah. two, two quick goals just before the half, were, and then and then another goal after the half. A third goal. Yeah, so we're 3-1 up, and at this point we're sort of cruising uh, and then went through their own sort of flurry of conceded goals mm. uh, in, a, in a row as well. Um for me, the big the big miss for for them was Pavlovic, the the left sided centre back in the back three, who was absolutely fantastic. He scored one of the goals on the way to to getting um, Serbia back on track. Uh, when he came off, the goals came through his part of the pitch uh, as well. Um, but I, I did a video about the the fun teams to watch the, uh, before the World Cup, and I had Serbia in there. Um, and I feel justified off the back of this game for, for including them in, in that video. But um, they've been quite disappointing for me in terms of the way that, that things have panned out for them. Because they, they I was going to through... say, have they underwhelmed? I mean, because they, they were quite fashionable before it began. Yeah, they had a really good qualifying period and went through a, a pretty dangerous run um, when, they were, when, when they were getting to the tournament. Um, and we talked about in that video the way they were playing a 3-5-2. Uh, and they were playing two out and out nine so we've we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast during this tournament about the number nine position especially after last night when when Morata comes on Nicholas full full crew comes on change the game in in different ways um there's not many teams who are playing like two out and out nines uh, in 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 a in in tournament play and mm. and Serbia definitely were now they they've been playing Mitrovic and Vlaovic as a two she have these the other the other way around usually, but um, for some reason Vlavic has not been playing. Um, he's been injured, I think, uh, and so there's probably um, fitness issues there as well. And instead of of, of having Vlavic, then we've we've seen Tadic play alongside Mitrovic, and the whole team then was designed around having these wing backs, getting the ball to. I mean, particularly Philip Kostic, who plays with Vlavic at, mm -hmm. at Juventus, uh, and just getting the ball into the box to these two. Well, 
with Vlaovic instead of Tadic getting getting the ball to them, and and it just hasn't really worked for them in mm. in, in, in in terms of actually progressing the ball in wide areas and getting the ball in the box to their dangerous forwards. So Tadic has not been in great form for Ajax in this yeah. what, you know, what you call Act One mm. or Apertura of 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 the <laughs> of the European football calendar. There's been calls to have him mm. dropped by. Uh, I mean, Rafael van der Vaart hates everyone, but he's been on TV hating on Tadic for a little bit as well. So yeah, there's just a. A lot of security. They're not as secure on the ball mm. in, in central areas as, as they used to be. Mitrovic has been uh, nursing a foot injury since the last international break. I believe he was taking painkiller injections. Pete Rutzley, who reports on Fulham, was saying he was taking painkiller injections mm. every single game for Fulham after that international break. I watched Fulham beat Leeds uh, and he went down, you know, went up for a header, went down, sort of clutched his ankle and just limped around for... 35 minutes. So he's been playing through the pain barrier for a long, 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 long time. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it, Serbia feel like one of those teams that this World Cup's arrived just at the wrong point of their calendar cycle, yeah. as it were. Yeah. In that if it was a, a summer World Cup and it, all these individuals were, were fit or had time to recorrect their form, yeah, well, they'd just with, be a lot safer than the football they're currently playing. With with Vlaovic out, then what they've done is they've pushed everyone forward. So normally mm -hmm. they, they, they played Tadic, Mitrovic as a two, and then Milinkovic Savic, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, I should say, because his brother's in goal, but they played him behind in the 10 slot. And actually, when Vlaovic was available, they were playing Tadic in the 10 spot and Vlaovic and, and, and Mitrovic here, and then Milinkovic Savic as part of the two behind as well. So in many respects, I think this has come down to not being able to play the way the sort of setup that they were playing on the way to the tournament. Right, right. Well, listen, both teams still have the opportunity to qualify, one with a, maybe a bit of an easier route than the other. Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment, Seb, because first I want to ask you about Andrea Nana, who has uh, left the Cameroonian team. Yeah, a little bit of uncertainty about whether he's left permanently. Um, that's still a little bit up in the air. There was a hope, um, certainly amongst the kind of the um, their Cameroonian um, coaching staff, that uh, cooler heads would prevail and that he'd decide to stay. Don't know whether that's been the case. Mm. But there's an issue over the way he plays. Andre Nana, obviously, really good with the ball at his feet, uh, likes to play out of his box, um, likes to distribute short. He's a footballer, basically, as, as well as being a goalkeeper. Um, Rigobert Song, not a fan of that, wanted to kind of modify Anana's game. So, uh, wanted to see him distribute long, um, try and, you know, maybe hit channels, go, you know, go towards a target man potentially. Um, and there's just no agreement. And Anana, yeah, there was no compromise between the two. So, I don't know if that's permanent yet. Um, things may change over the next, over overnight or tomorrow. Sure, but uh, sure. at the moment, yeah, not. It's uh, big. It's explosive. Again, I'm going to go back to yeah. Tribune because Anana wrote a really good essay before Afcon in January about how it was really important for him to make that Afcon tournament, you know, held in Cameroon, um, especially after the fact he his drug so sanction. Yeah, due to his drug sanction. Um, there's also bits in that essay where he describes his his way up the footballing pyramid and how he was nudged and, and dismissed for for one uh being a football player that wants to play in that style of play and, and being one so for one wanting to be a goalkeeper because everyone always views goalkeepers with yeah. and two um like fighting the stereotype of being a black goalkeeper has always been hard because the 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 accusation for years and years and years is black goalkeepers can't concentrate very racially charged uh and Onar comes on and not only is he a fantastic goalkeeper but he's also a fantastic modern goalkeeper and he's doing it as a black man a uh, very proud dark skinned black man um, so he very much is like no I'm, I he gets this far by never changing who he is for anyone and I think that might have and again please excuse me I might be reading into this editorially and putting on some 
a dollop of ice cream. Um, but I think that possibly would have made uh, a conversation about Rigobert, with Rigobert something like, could you calm it down mm. a little bit more charged than it needed to be? I was already think thinking about ice cream when we were talking about scoops <laughs> before, <laughs> and now I'm 100% going to be upset when I get home and there's no ice cream there. Do you, do you think it's quite strange? Because obviously, like, when I think of African goalkeepers, like great African goalkeepers, I think of Kono and Bell. Both Cameroonian, like they had that great rivalry and Kunu made his name in at Italian 90 really for the kind of the broader audience. And yet still like Cameroonian goalkeeper faces these challenges. It's, it's really strange to me. It is. It, I mean, it's, I've just watched, well, I say just watched this year we're watching AFCON and still the conversation was, oh, look at how funny AFCON is or look at the disorganization, yeah, yeah. right? There's, there is always a, a certain casual AFCON viewer that, that watches it because they want to see something break or fall over uh, in that sort of you've been framed uh, thing. Uh, and Anana as well as Sebastian Haller and other players have been, were very, very outspoken going to the AFCON tournament going, no, this is, this is just as important as a European championship mm. or, or, or indeed a World Cup. Because mm. I mean, I think Yaya Torre said, if you consider how hard it is for an African team to qualify for a World Cup, winning a World Cup is next to impossible. Whereas winning an AFCON, because it happens every single two years, that is the goal as an African football player. So for uh, a Cameroonian, sorry, for a Cameroonian player to leave World Cup camp is a big deal, yeah. uh, and to to leave in this manner is huge. And also. It's going to be really mean. Uh, one of the goals Serbia scored probably wouldn't have happened if I'm not right. goal because yeah. he probably would have kicked it properly. I think he saves another one of them too because yeah. I just think he's a better goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully there's a, a resolution can be found there. That would be that would be nice. I mean, Cameroon, of course, going on to face Brazil in the in the final game, which is a tough ask. Although Brazil have already qualified, so maybe there's an opportunity there for them. Serbia, on the other hand, facing Switzerland, Seb. Um, in a potential winner-takes-all scenario, there are other outcomes available. Um, that's a bit of a heightened environment. Sure is, sure is. Just before we get there, Joe, so the chat's saying that actually Onana has now been expelled from um, from the Cameroonian camp, so that seems to be permanent now. Um, thank you, chat. Right, yeah, Serbia, Switzerland. Um, I think um, for context... Don't always trust the chat. No, I think the chat's right, because there's more than one person in the chat, and it seems pretty definitive. Right. We trust the chat. It's the know. chat's fault. No, Wisdom of the crowds. Yeah, um, exactly. So, Vox Populo. for those people that no. remember 2018... The chat, the chat called you a voy boy yesterday. Uh, oh, a voy boy. Because he likes to ride around on those electric on the scooters, scooters in Germany. In Germany they're called voys, and, and now he's a voy boy. Oh, that's quite funny. I walked myself... No, no, I walked myself into the abuse. It's, it's fine. I deserved it. I've been trying to make it stick today. Yeah. What do you think? Will you take it up? I need to seem on it. It's, uh, yeah. It seems discriminatory in some way, doesn't it? It does boy seem boy. like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say it. Okay. Sorry, Seb. I was going to talk about Serbia, Switzerland and what happened in 2018. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, like the big issue in uh, with Serbia and Switzerland is um, the equation, uh, sorry, um, the uh, Kosovan independence from yep. 2008. Uh, in that game, uh, Granit Xhaka and Sheldon Shakiri both scored. Um, both of them uh, are Kosovan. Um, I think uh, Granit Xhaka is also uh, of Albanian descent. Um, and when both players scored, they made the um, made a the eagle gesture, which is reference to the um, mm. the Albanian flag, which has a double headed eagle on mm -hmm. it. Um, it's a nationalist symbol. Um, and there was a lot of fallout. Um, so, um, Mladen Kristic, who was the, the coach of Serbia in that game, um, one of the, the issues for the Serbians was that they were denied a penalty, which they, um, thought should be given. And he was talking about the referee afterwards. And he said, 
Uh, I wouldn't give him a yellow or red card. I would send him to the Hague. Then they could put him on trial. Um, oh. Yeah, so um, it's tense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to remember that a million ethnic Albanians were forced from Kosovo um, during the war. Uh, during the, um, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, uh, it's a political footballing rivalry, yes. uh, as you'd expect. And there's a lot of, we talked about this before, there's a lot of noise. Um, uh, Granit Xhaka and Jadon Shakiri have both worn the Kosovan flag on their boots at different points. Um, they, uh, yeah, they, these sets of players do not like each other very much. There was also a picture of a flag in the Serbian dressing room this World Cup, yep. which included a picture of Serbia and included Kosovo on the on the landmass that was on the on the map as well. So right. it seems as though there may be thoughts on some of the players in in Serbia as well. So it's going to be pretty charged, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, a charged affair there. Um, Cameroon, Brazil, Carl, very quickly, do you think Cameroon have a chance here, given that Brazil have already qualified? I don't think so. Cameroon's, Cameroon haven't won a World Cup game in quite some time now. Mm. Uh, and while they're starting games very good in the first 15 minutes, they often have this lull where they're getting hit for, for two goals in quick succession. Brazil have such a strong squad, perhaps you know up, the, up there with France as the, you know, the largest strength and depth. And I think an opportunity to, to qualify from the group with three wins and three would be appealing to Tito. This could be one of those games where Brazil, um, how do I put this, experiment with knockout football. And yeah. saying, can we, can we just hold on to the ball for 20, 30 minutes at a time and just keep an opposition arms up because we need to do this in the you know knockout stage onwards. And I think Cameroon, unfortunately, going to be a... Unwitting test subject. Okay, I'm, I'm curious to see that. Fine. Well, listen, let's go to another break now. And when we come back, we will get through two other games and two other uh, uh, news issues. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And we're back. There we go. What a lovely break. I had a fantastic time during that break. But there's no more time for breaks now. Let's talk about Nkunku. Because Fabrizio Romano, second mention on today's podcast, he's doing well today, isn't he? Fabrizio Romano announced earlier that Nkunku to Chelsea is nearing completion, John. What do you think about Nkunku? This is the first I've heard of it. Well, <laughs> which is let's get John McKenzie's live reaction. Yeah, very interesting. I think there's been talk of this for a little while, right? There has, so. so it's not really a live reaction. And anyone who watches the Bundesliga knows that Christopher Nkunku is mm. a real a real talent and he has been particularly I think last season was was excellent um yeah essentially, essentially carried them to the DFB Pokal the, the domestic cup in Germany um obviously he's been good this season as well but really exciting talent who is yeah is, is able to create goals out of 
very low chances and uh, you know the the ability to do that it's a very banal point to make but the ability to do that at the highest level is is sought after and um, that's mm. why Chelsea are very keen on, on getting him into the team and I think a really important player type of player for Chelsea to get into their squad as well because I feel as though that's almost what they're lacking at the moment we've we've talked a lot about Graham Potter and what he's trying to do at Chelsea but we've also talked about how the squad is, is sort of very clunky uh, and there's there's not really anyone there for them who can be that creative yes. player in in the way that you might want uh, and I think Christopher Nkunku will be will be good oh very well I'm excited to see that happen if it does Carl would you like to add some analysis there you looked as though you wanted to I've, I've just got this Hmm. hmm. With Chelsea. Yeah. Again, the they, they need an improv person in the room. Go, and then what? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Grace Robinson, fantastic tweet. And got a great newsletter and subtech that you should all subscribe to. Uh, Grace on football. Yes. Yeah. Uh, opined that this is one of those sort of transfer deals where Chelsea went, oh, it's a good player in the market. Just get him in and, and we'll figure out like later. Yeah, uh, right. I think. Yeah. It doesn't work unless there's a number nine coming through the door at some other point as well or somebody who can play that role better than the players they have on their books at the moment. Like, Nkunku needs something. Nkunku needs a reference point. Yeah. Like, that's always been my, my feeling at Leipzig. Different team, different setup, different standing in the game in Germany to what Chelsea are in England, yeah. But, he works best when there are other focal points. Mm. Uh, he's a super player, really. I like. Also, what's exciting about him, I think, over the last two years is his development has been so quick and sure. so dramatic. And you're still not quite sure what his peak is. Um, and it's always such a fun uh, fun time of a, a player's career to watch. He's, yeah. uh, he's really, really good, but needs other pieces around him. Well, we look forward to seeing him more if that, if that does yeah. occur. Um, Brazil, let's talk about Brazil. 1-0 uh, Switzerland, um, qualified with two wins, John. Neymar didn't play today due to injury. Um, firstly, what impact did this, that have on this game? And, and, and what impact does that have on Brazil going forwards if he misses more? We're unsure so far. I think one of the biggest problems that you can face as a, a, a good side in the international game is what happens when you inevitably come up against a side who are going to defend well, maybe defend in, in a, a lower block, have a very structured defensive setup. And Neymar is basically the cheat code for that because his ability to move the ball around to dribble defenders in central spaces not just in wide areas where there's a bit more space but in the center pull defensive structures around and generate space for his teammates is really important and obviously he's, wins a lot of free kicks as well which can help in those situations too he's a game changer who changes games that's right yeah, yeah. i did i listened to the podcast the other day heard that that's a yeah. good line was that not you here i wasn't when I said for that, that last one time? i don't think oh. you call him a playmaker that's a playmaker he made the play there you go uh, carl's <laughs> picking up what i'm putting down <laughs> As, uh, please continue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of what happened in the, sorry, you've completely thrown me. <laughs> Michael Irvin quotes will do that. <clears throat> yeah. See, this is what happens. I'm in full flow. Yeah. And then you I'm just, sorry, sorry, John. You do. Yeah. You do. No, but you were, you were saying about Neymar as being the cheat code for a low block. And of course, Switzerland, very difficult team to come up against if you need to uh, score a goal. Yeah. And, and the Swiss have always been very solid in these sorts of situations. Now, Neymar was replaced by... Pakata, um, in, in the, the sort of number eight slot where, where Neymar's been playing. Now, Pakata is a creative player. Um, he's more creative through passing than he is through, through dribbling. So the big question is, how's, how's that going to change the, the game? And, um, Pakata was brought off at half time for Rodrigo, mm -hmm. um, who plays for Real Madrid, also plays with Vinicius Jr., who was on that side. So it may have been that, uh, that Chiche thought that there was going to be more dynamics between Just them. Just ignoring Fred. Fred's on the other side. It's all right. <laughs> 
Poor Fred. <laughs> Poor Fred. <laughs> Fred, Fred, Fred is, was the director Fred, in terms of the the body that came in for Neymar. It was Fred, but you you are sorry, you are absolutely. Correct I'm talking in, about just the roles. Yeah, here, in yeah. terms of the role, it is sorry, Paqueta, which I didn't. I was saying Paqueta. So. Well, I, I was it, saying Paqueta too, but it's, we discovered Paqueta. it's Paqueta. Well, it's Paqueta. I think oh, it's the emphasis on the syllable. I think we're getting wrong. Oh, but I yeah. see. It's the syllable. Emphasis. I'm sure someone will. We've also spelled his name wrong on the board. I oh, know we spelled it right this time around. So oh, good. well done. Well done us. Us. Nice little victory. Yes, yes, sorry again. I've cut you off from your flight. I'm very, very sorry. Please continue to cook. <laughs> continue to cook, my man. Yeah. So um, in the event, it, uh, we we obviously saw um, a, a fairly lowish block from. Um, from Switzerland, they end up dropping the the wingers in, uh, and they they're playing four two three one, but they end up looking like a four four two block. And then the big question then is 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 how you're going to break that down with with these sorts of players, both Rafinha and Vinicius Junior. I think are are very um, aggressive dribblers. They they're very much um, raw dribblers in 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 the sense that they are going to blitz past opponent fullbacks when there's space for them to run into mm. um so again you're 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 probably losing a little bit from those two if you're playing against a team who are going to be sitting deeper and we talked about Richarlison a, a lot in the the last fixture as well because there's big questions about whether or not they should have gone for someone like Gabriel Jesus for precisely the reason we're talking about because he is a, yeah. again another a, a creative player who can um is also very good at dribbling moving the ball in in tight spaces as well which can which can help as well people said I was stupid for suggesting that Last time we talked about them. People will call you stupid no matter what you say because people yeah. want to be in your position. They do you think? just drag you down. That's how they, that's what my mama tells me when people are mean to me. Huh? And also just saying one thing that is true doesn't make you not stupid. I think it's important to remember that. Oh. He's encouraging you. <laughs> Thank you, John. That's really useful. <laughs> Carl, this isn't a positive place that you've walked into this evening. We, 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 no. Look, we don't do any of that. My national team won today, so I'm bringing some positive. Yeah. <laughs> Hold tight, the three-point collectors. Yeah. Well, John, I mean, I don't know if you were finished or not, but you cooked up something real sweet there. Are you finished? <laughs> am, I, am I eating too early? Um, well, I was going to talk a little bit. I don't know if this is on the running order, but I wanted to talk yeah. a little bit about how what's interesting about Brazil is that they play with a very European style. That is play. on the running order. I put it on the running order. You mentioned yeah. that during the game. Yeah. Um, and I was curious to know, well, you, you said mid-game that Chiche is tactically a bit European in style. Mm. Um, I think I know what you mean by that because I listened to an excellent podcast where you talked about this very thing. But please, please tell listeners um, and also tell them where they can listen to that if they yeah. haven't. So that was a podcast on the tifo talks podcast which is on the tifo football podcast channel so if anyone subscribed to that you will you will get it um but it was with me and with jamie hamilton and we were talking about the the um the very european approach to football tactics which is very cerebral thinking about um things in terms of structures formations uh, and one of the big things that we talk about a lot on this um channel is the fact that a lot of European managers will use what we call positional play. Mm -hmm. And that the idea behind positional play, I always draw these lines on the board. So penalty box to penalty box and then D to D. So you have a, a wide space, a half space, a central space here, and then another half space and, and wide space here. And the general idea then is that if you have op opponent centre-backs on the lines here, you are then generating these channels which can be, uh, which can be exploited mm. space-wise. And so a lot of... Um, European coaches in possession will try and hold the ball, build the ball up, move it through the thirds, and then get it to players in these channels. So you'll often see the the striker in the central channel, then the the two wide players sitting very wide and and pulling this 
back line apart. So the back we've got the back four here and they're spread as far apart as you possibly can. Again, that creates space in between the centre backs and the full backs for, for the number eights in this instance to, to attack. And it's all about getting your players in the right structures, making sure that they're occupying the right spaces uh, and being able to exploit it in that way. Now that's mm. that's something that um, a lot of Brazilian coaches won't necessarily be trying to do. There's a coach at the moment in Fluminense called Fernando Denise, and he is a pine. Well, I don't want to say pioneering because it's. I think it's an old style of play that they use in Brazil, but uh, very much based on. Uh, He's foot- an exemplar. Yeah, <laughs> futsal, and this idea then is getting getting lots of players around the ball when when you have possession, which is very different to this positional play, which is making sure you're spreading out, you're getting good spacing, you're getting uh, all the channels occupied at various situations. Um, Something that's really important to Chiche, am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Is he, he went on a European pilgrimage before the 2018 World Cup. Oh. Uh, he, I believe, basically, just before he get, begins his process with the Brazilian national team, when Brazil football needs to, to change and update itself, mm. goes to Europe, spends a lot of time with Carlo Ancelotti, I believe. Uh, spends a lot of time in Italy, spends a lot of time in Spain, and he's basically just tries to learn as much European club football he can yeah. bring back home to Brazil and, and not only help the, the top national team, but hopefully trickle down to, to other levels mm. as well. This is one of the big things that sort of marked him out as trying to do Brazilian football differently. It earned him uh, some raised eyebrows and a lot of credit in the bank going into that 2018 World Cup and made a lot of Brazilian football fans believe that that was going to be their World Cup. Mm. It also caused a quite interesting immediate reaction after they lost to Belgium, where at least one Brazilian football fan went to me, well, is Roberto Martinez a genius? Because he beat the person we believe is a genius. <laughs> mm. So what happened there? Um, but yes, Chiche is is a really interesting thinker in football and he's been really, um, almost like, like a holistic approach. He's very, very popular with his players. Mm-hmm. Like if you like, if you hear the accounts that's kind of squad life from Brazilian players, Brazilian internationals, he's as popular as a Brazilian coach has been in like decades, um, which seems super important. Given the, given the amount of egos and talent and given sort of how you can have players like Gabriel Jesus sitting on the bench. That's, that matters because yeah. you've got to have someone that, from a player's perspective, you respect, uh, you admire, and they seem to have that. And it's an essential ingredient for a, you know, a stacked squad, I think. I would say it's interesting that uh, that Carl brought up Carlo Ancelotti because I believe he comes up in that podcast that you referenced with yourself and Jimmy Hamilton as potentially the most uh, uh, South American of yeah. European coaches, which yeah. is an interesting. But, but have a, if you haven't listened, have a listen. It's a, that is like I, it's one of the best podcasts I've listened to in a really really long time. Uh, John's chat with Jamie Hamilton. It's on the TIFO podcast. It's great. Feed. It really is. Yeah, you can go find that. Yeah, John um, can't say that. But I would it really love is to good. spend more time talking about it, but unfortunately. Can I just can I just conclude? Because yes, please, what I was please. going to say was simply that this is a very structured way of playing. A lot of Brazilians are brought up playing a much less structured way of playing and yeah. playing futsal and stuff. And that's where a lot of the the uh, stylistic ideas that you see and think of when you think of Brazilian football come from. So I think the the obvious question to then ask is if you're trying to overly structure the way that these Brazilians playing, are you actually removing something of their upside? Mm. And again, I think this will be a question that is raised if Brazil don't go all the way. 
is this is this just too European a way of playing football? Should yeah. should Brazil be returning to this more, um, I guess, flamboyant, but also more, uh, it's, it's less spatially concerned. It's more about getting players around the ball, playing really quick one-two passes through the, the field and generate chances in that way. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of interesting uh, question that will be raised as the World Cup goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more when we have um, more time next time. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Canada. What happened with Canada's goalkeeper? Quickly, Seb. Nothing good. So in last night's game, you're uh, the bad news guy today. I really am. I, I'm. I'm really. That's yes. I'm delivering. You know, poor news all yeah. the way through the podcast. Yeah. So there was a flag um, uh, displayed by the Croatian fans um, aimed at Milan Borjan, the um, the Canadian goalkeeper, who was of uh, is of Serbian ethnicity. Um, he fleed um, his town uh, in the Croatian War of Independence. And the Croatian fans behind his goal displayed a flag which said, um, nothing runs like Milan Borjan, which is a reference to him fleeing. And it was made up on a, um, a kind of a, a John Deere tractor flag, you know, they're sort of the advertising slogans. Mm. Um, and that's a, um, not very subtle reference to the fact that when they fled those towns, um, the Sebs, uh, Sebs, the Serbs fled in convoys and, um, uh, which included tractors. Yeah. So hence the John Deere reference. Right. Also, Grief. rather unfortunately, um, his mobile telephone number was leaked online <laughs> and he's received thousands so of threats and uh, not quite sure where that story is ending. Um, it's developing, but not good. Well, uh, I, I can think I speak for all of us when we say we hope the hope yeah, he's okay. He's okay. The Canadian yeah. Um, he plays for Red Star Belgrade. So, um, yeah. yeah, let's um, let's hope that has a good ending and everyone sort of settles down. Yes. Yeah. Well, wishes all the, all the best wishes. Uh, Portugal 2, Uruguay nil. Carl uh, Anker, Portugal, top of the group, six points. They have qualified, despite mm-hmm. looking a little uncertain. Um, the only thing I remember about this game was that Ronaldo's goal wasn't his goal. <laughs> no, this is a... This is a strange Portugal team right now because, you know, Fernando Santos? Yeah. For half a second, I want to call him Federico. Fernando Santos is is a a sufferable exemplar. Him, Deschamps uh, are the reasons why England plays sufferable because Southgate went, ooh, they are savvy and experienced. That's what he used there. Uh, And the entire way Portugal won the 2016 Euros and the Nations League is... Winners. Uh, they they score a goal early, they control the space, and as far as Santos is concerned, a 1-0 victory is just as useful to him as a 4-3 victory, so why don't you just get the 1-0 victory and just slot yeah. the space, control, maximise your set pieces. Against Ghana, they were just really open and porous uh, in central midfield, which certainly shouldn't be happening when you've got midfield talents of Portugal's squad. Uh, and they just... That f- the front three, the combinations of their front three and front four doesn't seem to be working right now mm. in that uh, Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, Jao Felix, and when Bernardo Silva was higher up, they're all players that benefit when they play with uh, a constant penalty box operator. Uh, play with a person who predominantly wants to stand on the last line of uh, the centre-backs. Uh, Strangely enough, this Portugal team would be better if Edison Cavani was playing for Portugal. Yeah. It's, the, it's the simplest way I can explain that. That's a good point. Um, for, so for the goal that was initially awarded to Cristiano Ronaldo, but now seems to have been given to Bruno Fernandes because the hair connection wasn't quite deep enough. It starts off with Ronaldo <laughs> getting the ball deep on the right-hand side. And I believe we were watching together. And I sort of just yelled at him, what, what are you doing there? Which is uh, something that I've, I've yelled at Cristiano Ronaldo more than once this season. Uh, Ronaldo's affinity to the ball and, and and want to always be around the ball means he often vacates central attacking spaces uh, and creates situations where Ronaldo is in wide positions. 
delivering crosses that he sh- himself should be on the end of because Ronaldo wants to be on the ball. Uh, and uh, there's this old quote about how certain passes you make, not because it's useful, but you just simply want to keep your striker awake. Uh, and I think Ronaldo has that sort of license in the Portugal team where he, he just does certain things because he, he he wants to be awake and, mm. and, and feel 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 involved. Um, but that was how the move starts. And eventually he does take up that position on the last line of Uruguay's defence. So when the cross comes in, he's, he's well placed for it. And the cross... You know, he's delivered either too quickly or too, or too sharply, and then it goes in anyway. Sure, that was, that's the sort of thing that's meant to happen. And then Portugal was supposed to just shut up shop, close yeah. the space, and just be quiet. Uh, and, they got themselves a nice penalty, and then and then what they did was they introduced Mister Leo, who I mean, he's loads of fun and probably should be starting, and mm. will definitely be a starter come the Euros in twenty twenty four when a striker comes in for. Whoever succeeds Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe if Cristiano Ronaldo wants to play in 24, 24, then okay. Sure. Um, and then when Real came on, Portugal got more fun. But also, again, that's not the point of Santos ball. Portugal yeah. aren't meant to be fun. Um, what are they doing, huh? It's weird in that they're not playing the way I expect Portugal to play, which is more entertaining for the viewer, asterisk, question mark, maybe? Um, but leaves them just way, 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 way more open to to the opposition to to pick things up. I have no idea what's going on. Are Someone's in moving furniture around. It is twenty past ten at night. That's a strange old a bin, time. isn't it? That's an empty wheelie bin. Is I that reckon. a bin? I mean, we're yeah. quite a long way from. What do you think, Jamie? A car. Ooh, what a car yeah. sounds like that. Hey, that's a bad car. That needs an MOT. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Portugal more fun, uh, but it, it always these these fifteen to twenty minute periods where where the opposition can go. Oh, look, your midfield is vulnerable. I'm going to just progress up the field, which is. I mean, John, that's, that's what happened for a good chunk of the second half, wasn't it? You yeah, right, so, just kept going. Yeah, Leal was brought on for Ruben Neves and, and then Joao Felix was dropped back into midfield, which it, it seems weird for someone like Santos to be so concerned about solidity to then drop someone like Felix into his midfield. But um, realised fairly quickly that that wasn't going to work and then brought on um, Nunes and, and um, Polinho as well to just solid things up a little bit. But yeah, Rafael Leal having having a great season at, at Milan, having ha- had a great few seasons at, at Milan. Uh, but again, another one of these players who um, is, is if, you're going to, if you're wanting to play in a very specifically defensively solid way, he is yes, he's going to give you a huge upside going forward. And that's why everyone wants to see him play because he's just incredible at what he does. Um, but in terms of if you're wanting to keep a game tighter, um, it can it can raise s- s- some sort of questions as to how much space he's going to give on, on that side as well. So yeah. um, let yeah. me ask you, Uruguay uh, haven't scored yet. I mean, they can still technically qualify uh, if, they, um, if they beat Ghana and South Korea lose to Portugal. Which this is a possibility... Carl Anker taking a deep breath there. What do you think, John? I think that Uruguay have been really quite conservative as well. I mean, Carl called it sufferable before, but I think the problem with, with Uruguay in this game was that they just sort of sat back until the goal and then they sort of went for it a little bit more and, uh, and didn't quite have enough to, to actually manage it. But um, again, we've talked a little bit during this World Cup about whether or not that approach is actually working out as well as it has done in, in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I think I always remember what Rafa said to me after the Euro final. 
That sounds like the beginning of a song. Rafa said, not Rafa No, Rafa Rafa said, so Rafa said on Totally Football after the Euro final, sort of really sad in, in the cave of Wembley. Uh, and he said, England cannot win a title playing uh, a tribute act to Portugal and France because Portugal and France still exist out there and Portugal and France are beginning to implement more club football tactics. And Italy beat England because they, out of all the European clubs uh, in the Euros, were the one that most successful were implementing club football mm. tactics, their set pieces and, and their positional play. And I think this World Cup is beginning to see a number of nations caught in between suffer ball and progressive play, positional play and whatnot. So you're seeing these teams that you've known from the last World Cup, you've known from the Euros or the last Copa America or the Copa America before that. And you go, that's Uruguay. They play Oscar ball. They, they play in a certain way and they go, Oscar's not there anymore. Are they trying to build through the thirds? They don't normally do that. They've got a couple of young players who will be really good in two years and a couple of players who can't run anymore. Yeah. And if this World Cup had happened in the summer or whatnot, it, they might have had an extra little bit of a zip in it. So this Portugal team isn't playing like the Portugal I normally know. This Uruguay team isn't playing like the Uruguay team I normally know. I, I have no idea what this Ghana team is. This England team... Well, I'm assuming they're going to play 3-4-3 at some point, but mm. Gareth Southgate might just continue playing 4-3-3. Mm. Uh, I think it, it, it's you, the calendar's getting you tripped up just as well as the tactics yeah. and your opponent. Uh, and that's the big thing I'm getting watching both of these two teams in that I can see the type of football they want to play in 2024. Mm. And I can see why that'd be really good. Watching the early genesis of it is weird. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. But there is no more time. <laughs> so, could you, Sadly, there's a, a quick thing that I'm going to address for f- from the um, the chat. It better be important. It is important. Seb loves the chat today. I know. No I, well, people are talking chat. about the penalty. What and are the chat says? Yes. So yes, everyone's talk, saying not a penalty. Me. And it is an important thing to say because the IFAB guidance on this is oh, that... You said it was important. It IFAB is important. Guidance. It is important. <laughs> IFAB guidance. It is the literal rule book. <laughs> this is, as Carl says, this is literally the rules. Uh-huh. Um, it is not handball if a defender is supporting himself with his hand on the floor it and the ball hits falling. his foot. Exactly that. So he's putting his, foot, his hand down to, to break yeah. his fall to support himself and the ball hits it. That is not a penalty. It should not be given. According to the IFAB rule book. Yeah. The people who write the rules say that is not a penalty. Uh, so even it's, I it's said kind of that enraging when, to when see we it happen were in a World Cup. the game. No excuse for it being given. Sure, at all. it's farcical. Uh, I did. Call, Someone's I, calling I me Seb Ifab Boar now. Yeah, <laughs> I find it absolutely farcical. I got really raging, and I looked down and realised I was wearing a Ghana kit. He's got. Uh, why am I raging about an injustice that's happened to to like yeah, my right. big World Cup rival? It's I always say, good to rage. It was quite cute to watch all the Portuguese players just sort of stand in a circle around the penalty spot. It's like, no, we won't let it get scuffed up. <laughs> um, you also got called Seb Hoover Floor earlier, which worked quite nicely, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. that one, yeah. good. Yeah. Anyway, listen, everybody, put your headphones on just for fifteen seconds and, and enjoy yourself because uh, producer Don is going to play a nice song for us now aren't you producer Don here we go John dance <laughs> on beat We all enjoyed that. We I all did. enjoyed that. I did indeed. We throw our headphones on the floor. Now, Carl, you're going to have to listen to me now as I talk about a lot of scores that don't relate to you, but you can celebrate with me because today 
Did you I'm win? the winner of the day. Oh, oh and God. points are so bad. You guys got so many points. Why did you get them? I've told you they're bad. Rooney! Yeah. <laughs> there he goes. Okay, I got 10 points today. That's the best, by the way. 10. Not a good day. Uh, and uh, we'll come... Oh, no, 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 that's right. JJ did quite... Did okay, 11 points. You guys are sharing 12 points, so you've allowed that gap to grow there. Hey, that's a pretty close day. I mean, everyone's done badly, but it's still pretty close. I won. That's all that matters. You won You have allowed the, the gap, not specifically Less you, badly. but he, he <laughs> has allowed the gap between first and second to grow by one further point. Yeah. It needs to shrink, okay? There's a lot to talk about here, but anyway, listen, that means that uh, I go last today, John and Seb... Uh, you uh, go um, first, but in- intriguingly, we have a, a, a first time occurrence here. Now, normally what would happen when you share points on the day is that the person who's leading between the two goes we're level, first. aren't we? But you were also <laughs> level at the grand total. And so I'm going to give it to Seb because he needs all the help he can get. And when you go first, John, you seem to make mistakes. Uh, so, <laughs> Seb. Let us begin with Netherlands, Qatar, please. I will say 4-0 Netherlands. You think 4-0 Netherlands. Okay, John, what do you reckon? 3-0 Netherlands. You're going for 3-0 Netherlands. Okay, Uh, that was uh, JJ's first request, but his second is a 2-1 to the Netherlands. And I think this is going to be a 1-1. I think the Netherlands have already qualified. I think Qatar are going to want to go out strong. It's their final game. It's their final opportunity. They can't qualify. But there's no reason they can't put a big performance in. You're in front of do their this with crowd. every result. What? Just talk You're a bit more. Explain to why you think it is. After I mean, cutting us off in the middle I, of a very you, interesting conversation, <laughs> you're now going to explain your predictions in great detail. <laughs> Next game is Ecuador Senegal, sir. Two one Ecuador. Two Ooh, one. I like. Ecuador. I really like Ecuador. Really he like Ecuador. Really, I think we're going to hear something similar from John. Yeah, I mean, I said that Ecuador would beat Senegal in yeah. the first podcast we did in did this you, did you want the ooh to apply to you uh, uh, Carl, yeah. would you do the ooh again for john he's feeling left out Ooh. well i said that and then everyone <laughs> got at me and was like oh no, this is on, ridiculous so please, please repeat <laughs> i said in the first podcast of this world cup that ecuador would beat senegal oh mm. spicy yeah, yeah are you right. going so to say that again do that. yeah but um in, w- in which way are you going to say two, i'll say two nil and then. are you going to say every time you have a score that they have to percent i just said two nil didn't i uh, jj say that bit that's jj's for uh one two he thinks senegal are going to win this game so he's gone for one two and i have no idea uh this is this is a winner takes all situation it though, is. isn't it, it right is. so senegal one team does the need the win yeah senegal needs the win more than ecuador do i'm gonna I'm going to say 1-3. No, that's stupid. No one ever... Three ones don't exist. Three ones don't exist. That's my weird they? quirk. What shall I say? You can, you can predict... Why don't you talk us through it? All the so good. we know exactly you what you're thinking. You can predict the That is John allowed. John is so salty tonight. <laughs> He's rattled you, hasn't he? he you know, um, uh, Seb brought these delicious cookies into the office earlier and they were covered in salt and I wonder if John got one of the salty ones yeah. because he has been salting all over the place. I made sure to <laughs> avoid the salt. You've been shaking that salt in my direction. Mm. Now listen, uh, I'm going to say Ecuador, Senegal. I'm so confused. I'm going to say 2-0. You panicked. Two, no, I panicked and said 2-0. Did I say 2-0? To, to, I know, I meant to Senegal. I'm going to go 0-2. Uh, uh, before you all do this, did any of you check on Anna Valencia's injury status? No. Absolutely not. We don't okay, do things like that for points Carl, this isn't a We don't care game. about facts. Availability Except JJ's at home <laughs> checking on the status <laughs> because he's playing it sensibly. I'm not nervous. I'm just saying. Seb Stefan. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's uh, who goes first? Seb. Seb goes first. Seb goes first. Which game do you want first? I want Wales-England, please. 2-0 England. 
two nil two. Okay. Wales are very confident. Uh, John three nil England. Nil three. Okay. JJ Bull has got gone catch JJ. five nil Wales. No, he's gone one one. Okay. Which is. To be honest, this is what I was going to go for because I think Wales is going to come out strong tomorrow, and I this will explain cool. myself. I will explain myself. <laughs> this is the champion's advantage; he gets to explain himself. Is I get this, to explain myself. Apparently, there's more space in the podcast. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the time, He's the time here. limit has just been extended. Incredible. He's mugged you off here. He's found some extra time down the back of the <laughs> yes, sofa. Of there course. it is. There it is. Scrabbling around. Listen, you guys are eating into my extra time. <laughs> <laughs> this is my starring moment. <laughs> Five nil, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Iran, USA, please, sir. Have you done JJ? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, JJ got 1-1. Okay. One, one. He asked yeah. for 1-1. One, one. He yeah. comes third. I'm the winner. Um, I think Iran, USA, 1-1. One, one. You think it's a 1-1? One, yeah. One. yeah. Okay, and what does that mean for the group if it's a 1-1? One, that one? would put Iran through. Yep, that would put Iran through. Yep. Okay, John. I'm going to do 1-0 Iran. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, JJ Bull has asked for a 2-1 Iran. I'm going with the Americans on this one. Okay. I'm going to say it's a one. Four. <laughs> oh, that's wrong, isn't it? I've said it now. I've locked it in. I've locked it in. In your Excel sheet, which cannot be changed. <laughs> yes, it, well, yeah, it would be I mean, impossible to. I could change it, but it would be against the spirit of the game. I, I agree with you. The spirit should be there. Like, you're just saying fun. that because you're so far behind, JJ. <laughs> and let me tell you, John, it's I know you podcast, I have to say. air quotes don't care about the game and uh, I didn't say I didn't care the about the game. Of the game no no what I'm saying is I know you don't think the game says anything about you and your ability to to understand football and I'm not saying that it does either some people might think that it does but I'm not saying that other people <laughs> other people might be thinking that and saying <laughs> many that. people are saying this but it's not me that's saying it but if if I was to say it <laughs> I would infer something from the current state of affairs okay. and that is that uh, whilst I'm last as I should be, the man who finds extra time. Uh, you are now sharing second place. Oh, you're still sharing second You shared, shared second place yesterday. Yeah. You're yeah. still sharing neck second place with um, with Seb on 75 points. Very yeah. Trumpian delivery, this monologue. Mm, I'm trying to, I'm trying it out. I'm trying to yeah, get yeah, a little like, fierceness behind me. You know? Affecting a, a wrestling heel character. Here, I'm trying you? to confuse, okay. you know, and it's a very, very big deal. And you won't believe what score JJ has. <laughs> it's an incredible score. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> he has the score of 65. He's now 10 points ahead of you. And that's what they said. Who's they? I don't know. That's how it works. <laughs> Okay, that's the end of the, uh, the the game there. And indeed, the podcast. Carl Anker, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. What this a charming, delightful. charming guy. John McKenzie, thank you for your sass. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, I am welcome. Uh, Seb Savablore, thanks for attending. Thank you, Joe. And thanks, as usual, in the, uh, in the producer's box over there, we've got Jamie and Don. A big uh, thank you to them. Yes, we'll be back tomorrow with JJ Ball and more as we discuss all of the big games. Until then, take care, goodbye. Stay and, hydrated. Uh, sleep Be good. well.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.